Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Happy good evening, or afternoon, or morning, or whatever the quote is from the Truman Show that I <laughs> totally didn't get right. <laughs> That's okay, and guess what? I'm not going to correct you. Just let it Just let We're it just ride. We're just going to let it ride. That's fine. I just, this is how I live. Whatever, Fast and loose. <laughs> whatever time of day it is that you are finding us, we are happy to have you. Especially this week, because this week is uh, interesting. This week is heady. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you, kind of, I don't want to say the way you sold me on this movie was misleading, <laughs> but that's kind of what it was. Well, good, because that's kind of the point of this movie is to lure you in with one thing and deliver with another. So I, I like to think that I was staying on theme. Sure. <laughs> so we've been hearing a lot of feedback asking... When are you going to do another horror film? BJ, Harmony, you both write about horror for a living. When are you going to do another horror movie? We haven't done one yet this year. <laughs> and we haven't done one yet this year. You're correct. I I do like to reserve a lot of the horror stuff for October when everybody's kind of in their most spooky. Or I know we did Black Christmas around Christmas, so it was, it was nice and thematic. There's a reason for it. Yeah, there's yeah. usually a reason for it. And not to mention, if you go to... Apple iTunes and look at the film podcasts, like the most popular film podcasts, like a third of them are horror movie podcasts. There are people who are doing this all the time. And to be totally honest, I love horror. It's my career. I've been doing it since I was 18 years old. This podcast is kind of a nice escape for me to not constantly have to talk about horror. This is your respite? Yeah. Because it does get exhausting. It's it's a very emotionally taxing genre. Yeah, it's it's a it's a laborious genre of film to be diving into all the time. Especially because most of the best horror movies that are coming out now are um, a lot. Yeah, they can be really really heavy. I mean, obviously we get a lot of relief when we have like horror comedies and things of that sort, but. For a lot of the work that I do, I'm watching really heavy stuff to analyze, and this is this is my nice break, but... Not this week, it's not. Not this week, it's not, because I decided if we were going to do a horror movie, I wanted to do something that was a little bit unconventional, a little bit more subversive, something that is arguably a horror movie. Most would probably consider it horror adjacent, but I really don't want to get into the discourse of... 
what makes a horror movie? Can it be in space? Like, I don't care if it... I legitimately ugh. hate these conversations. They're the worst. They're, it doesn't fucking matter if it scares you, if you feel that it's horror, if you feel seen by it, it's horror. Just call it a day this and is a, move forward. This movie is a, a spooky mystery. This is a spooky mystery. It's weird as hell, and I am obsessed with it. So the movie that we're talking about this week is 2019's Knives and Skin. It is written and directed by Jennifer Reeder, and it is a wild ride. So Harmony, before I introduced you to this movie, had you heard of it, seen anything about it? Did you have any knowledge of this movie? I confused it with that one movie, uh, what is it, Knife and Heart? Yes. That everyone was talking about. And I was like, oh, everyone's been talking about it. It must be really good. And you go, no, that's not this movie. Yeah, different movie. Similar titles. Yeah. uh, No, I did not hear anyone talk about this at all. Mm -hmm. And the way you sold me on it, it's like, oh, well, we haven't done a horror movie in a while. So, you know, what what, what should we do? And you go, I want to do this one. I want to do Knives and Skin. And I go, what's that? And you go, "Um, it's just, it's a horror movie. It's about, about a high school. It's got like cheerleaders and teen girls. And I go. Okay, like I, I can understand <laughs> that, and after the first scene, I ask you, "Oh, BJ, um, is this movie a fun movie?" And you say, "Well, it's fun in the way that like Twin Peaks is fun, which I haven't seen Twin Peaks, right. so I have very little <laughs> understanding of what that means." And uh, I wouldn't say it's a fun movie. I'd say it's mostly miserable, but there is some very bleak, um. Sort of Gen Z nihilistic humor mm-hmm. in the dialogue. Totally. And uh, that's about as close as you get to this movie being a good time. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And that's what I love so much about this movie. And I think it's important to note that when you say that it's miserable, it's miserable on purpose. It's not miserable as in, oh, this movie's so bad, I'm having a miserable time. Yes, no, the tone is miserable. The tone is just Everyone miserable. is in misery. <laughs> yes. This is a movie that is, in my opinion, like an anti-teen girl movie about teen girls. Mm -hmm. And I fucking love that. Mm -hmm. So because this came out in 2019, doing our usual shtick of like, what was cool in 2019? feels a little silly because that was the last time any of us were really allowed to truly experience culture because it was the year before the world shut down. But what I want to ask you, Harmony, mm-hmm. is how you feel about the way we digest culture now. Because this is a movie that didn't get like a big theatrical run. So comparing it to, you know, what was available at the box office is kind of disingenuous. Um, and then at the same time, this is a newer movie. So looking at like, well, what's hot on Billboard? also kind of doesn't matter because there are so many really popular artists that people are obsessed with that don't make it to like Billboard. They stream a lot of high numbers on Spotify. Mm -hmm. So my question is, what would be fair to determine like what is cool for like teens today? How do we even know anymore? That's a really good question. And I mostly like to keep an eye on Sort of what the zeitgeist is mostly out of just sheer morbid curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, I read a study once that I don't even know if it's accurate, but it's always stuck in my brain that once you hit the age of like 30, most people stop discovering new music and they just listen to the same stuff until they die. I believe that to be true, which is very weird. Yeah. So it's like 90% of what you listen to or whatever you've been listening to since like high school. 
And that, to me, sounds really depressing. It really does. Like, there are definitely some times we'll all be rocking out to something, like like an Ash Nico or even to some extent Lil Nas X, where I'm having a great time, totally bopping around, and I have that moment of, am I... Am I weird and old for being really into this music? Like, am I allowed to like this? Or is that like when the substitute teacher is trying really hard to relate to the youth? Like, I don't know where that bridge is because we're at a point now because we have like social media and everybody's talking about the same things all the time that like people's grandmothers know about Montero. Mm -hmm. Like, so I I don't know. It's it's so weird I think in earlier generations, there was that disconnect and you could very uh, assuredly dic- like figure out what's cool and what's popular with the teens based on things like box office numbers mm-hmm. and billboard charts. And I don't think you can do that anymore. Well, it's kind of like how if you go back 60 years or whatever, there was three channels on TV. Yeah. So it's pretty easy to get an understanding of what was going on because things were more uh, centralized and easy to digest. Mm-hmm. And as... Things sort of changed, like you had like the MTV generation of the 80s and early 90s, which then morphed into like the TRL generation of music, yeah. which eventually evolved into like MySpace music, and you got mm-hmm. like the scene boom. And there's always been like these very, very distinctive large pockets where you can attribute like teen trends to. Mm-hmm. The closest I'd say we have to that right now is TikTok, yeah. which is why in 2020, That's probably one of the weirdest years for popular music ever because a lot of your major artists, your major players were either releasing albums that were flopping compared to, you know, their other work, or they just went, I'm not releasing my album yet because I can't tour to promote it. Right. And you don't make money off of an album. Yeah. So like, why would I put this out so that everyone can get sick of it by the time I actually go to tour? And so you had all of these record execs who have had a pretty cut and dry idea of how the business functions and have, it's really just been on autopilot for decades. Mm-hmm. They went, oh, fuck, what do we do now? So then you had all these weird TikTok songs becoming huge hits. Yeah. And they started getting like airplay and it's really strange how that worked out. But I'd say now more than ever, things have splintered, mm-hmm. like culturally, where everyone has their own niches And, like, you'll still have your mainstream stuff where you can have, like, an Ariana Grande be, like, massively successful and bleed over into lots of different groups. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, people are kind of just off doing their own things. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely starting to feel both very young and very old. (laughs) Because I have people that I know who are just like, oh, yeah, uh, Nirvana's my favorite band. And I listen to them all the time. And I've been doing so since I was, like, 13. I'm like, dude, they have three albums and some like non-album stuff, like and some live albums, like you've been listening to like maybe like sixty songs basically mm-hmm. in different versions on loop forever. How is the tedium of you growing old not like driven you insane yet? <laughs> and then at the same time, you have young people where I'm interacting with like all these cool up and coming indie bands or these DIY groups that I love on on Twitter, and I have this moment where like I'm like, oh god, you're 19. I feel so weird. Right. I feel ancient. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of dealing with that too right now, which is really strange. I think you're right in terms of like, there's definitely still distinct splintering of clicks, but at the same time, those clicks are bleeding into each other. Mm-hmm. Like, this doesn't sound really stupid, but that ending shot in Mean Girls where like all of the clicks 
don't really exist. Like everybody still has their same personal style. They're just all interacting with each other a lot more. Mm -hmm. I think that's becoming a lot more popular. And obviously sweeping generalization, depending on where you are geographically speaking, there are definitely high schools that are still operating as if it's 1986 and it's Revenge of the Nerds and it's just terrible. But for the most part, the trend I think that we're starting to see is that everything is getting a lot more intertwined. And that's another reason I really wanted to talk about today's film because this is one, a teen movie that completely bucks all conventions of what it means to be a teen movie. Mm -hmm. It is so complicated and nuanced and refusing to follow any sort of traditional path which is what I think a lot of like the youth of today are starting to do. Oh, this movie is deliberately difficult. Oh, totally. It, it's like this, you can't tell me what to do, daring you to be upset with how not satisfying of a narrative it is. Yeah. Because this movie is is deliberately not giving you a simple contained story with understandable mm-hmm. elements. It's like, oh, there's pieces that you can recognize, but they don't sync up at all. So it's almost this evolution of culture where it's like, okay, cool. Well, we recognize the high school environment. We know what high school looks like. Mm-hmm. But it's these people who realize like, oh, my God, I'm so old. I was in high school 10, 15, 20 years ago, and I just assume it's the same because high school never changes. No, high school does change. Mm-hmm. Like it's always changing and always evolving to however the current teen generation is functioning. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of like – that big Twitter spat where everyone was like mad that uh, Ron Funches said that Outcast is better than the Beatles. Yeah, and I agree because the fact of the matter is Outcast is wildly more influential for how music is and probably has been for at least 15, 20 years now than the Beatles are. Mm-hmm. They are way more important in how everything is processed than the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And so, but the Beatles wrote the basic like so verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. No, 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 no. I'm, we're not getting into that. I'm talking about like the actual function of how music is processed by the masses, not the intricacies of how songwriting and hipster push up your glasses. We don't need to be dissecting the Beatles music anymore. It's been going on for too damn long. <laughs> Everything's been said. But people are sitting there and thinking back to a time 20 years ago when they were in school and everyone was like, oh my God, but like the Beatles are the greatest band ever. Or when we were in high school, everyone's like, the Beatles, I just discovered the Beatles and I heard them for the first time and it blew my mind because I saw across the universe. Cool. That's not what high school is like anymore. Yeah. They, that, the, the, the Beatles are a band that was formed 60 years ago as an example. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of nostalgia for them 30 years ago. But... It's 30 it's years later now. It's always changing and getting further and further away from that. Mm-hmm. Things are not so much leaving it in obscurity, but it's just evolving and taking different elements forward as, you know, time goes on. I mean, totally. And I love the I love the Beatles and Outcast sort of argument that Ron Fun just posted because you're right, the Beatles were formed 60 years ago. So it makes complete sense that 30 years later in in the 90s and into the 2000s, we're talking about the Beatles a little bit more. But it's 30 years later now. Mm-hmm. So we need to look at like, well, who was really big and popular 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. And it's outcast. Yeah. And then you also look at the way that music has, and, and just culture in general, has sort of been splintering off. I mean, 
we're a lot more diverse now in the things that we're putting forward and the styles that we're putting forward. It's not so white anymore and it's not whitewashed versions of things anymore. Mm -hmm. We can actually look towards black music and black artistry as a direct reference rather than people who are like, oh, I was inspired by Elvis, who was just aping off of the styles of black people. Mm-hmm. So it, it's fascinating how there are definitely things that don't change. Like you said, that structure of that song, that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. That's that's forever. And you even see that in outcast music. So clearly, like, that's there. But it's it's how did we make it different? How did we change it? How did we evolve the art form? And I think this movie is doing that with teen movies mm-hmm. and is doing it in a very playful way. So I want to explain what this movie is about because I do know that there are some people who just straight up don't watch the movies we talk about. They just want to hear us talk, oh, which they, I think is really cool. They do that? Yeah. Oh, that's very Which is nice. really sweet. I mean, not everybody can be a uh, shout out to one of our Patreon supporters and probably our biggest fan, uh, Mr. Matt Hirth, who watches every movie every week and talks about it and you know promotes it on all of his social media channels. We greatly appreciate you, but... For those of you who uh, who just want to know what's going on, this one might be really complicated without seeing the movie because, again, this is not a There's traditional film. There's a lot film. of moving parts. <laughs> so our friend Dango's actually had a synopsis, was kind of shocked, if mm-hmm. I'm being totally honest. And their synopsis is this. What happened to Carolyn Harper? Part suburban nightmare, part neon-soaked teenage fever dream, this tantalizing mystery traces the wave of fear and distrust that spreads across a small Midwestern town in the wake of a high school girl's mysterious disappearance. As the loneliness and darkness lurking beneath the veneer of everyday life gradually comes to light, a collective awakening seems to overcome the town's teenage girls, gathering in force until it can no longer be contained. Unfolding in a hallucinatory haze of lushly surreal images, Knives and Skin is a -a one-of-a-kind, coming-of-age noir that haunts like a half-remembered dream. Oh, somebody actually took a lot of care with that one. I feel like whoever wrote this one watched this movie and went, no one is going to understand this, but I love this movie and I need to do it justice, (laughs) and then wrote that wonderful synopsis. Because I agree with every sentence in it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So this movie, uh, making comparisons to CW shows and David Lynch or Twin Peaks is a pretty fair judgment call to make. I do think it's like a little bit dismissive to simplify it in in those words, but for for those who have not seen this and are trying to get kind of an idea of the worlds that we're playing in, we have the high styling of something like a Riverdale mm-hmm. and just like the absolute chaos of a town unfolding in on itself a la Twin Peaks with Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. Or honestly, you could even make the argument too that this is I think a more disjointed version of like a Sam Levinson property, like a yeah, Euphoria or Assassination Nation. Yeah, that was more of where I was going to go because I haven't seen Riverdale or the CW properties or Twin Peaks, but I'm like, I've seen Euphoria and Assassination <laughs> Nation, so that's where I'm going. Yeah, I think that they kind of exist in similar universes uh, while still being extremely different from each other, which I also think is kind of a symbol of a lot of old people not fully understanding like what's going on with today's teens because the amount of times that I've been in meetings talking about films and 
I, the movies that I tend to write, they tend to be about teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I have meetings with people, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, like a euphoria or, oh, yeah, styling like a Riverdale. I'm like, do you know that there are more properties that exist for teens right now that they are super into other than Euphoria and Riverdale? This is like... Maybe not. <laughs> this is like when one of your parents discovers like a hip new word and you'll have like <laughs> yeah. you'll have like a 55-year-old mother being like, mm, oh my God, Jimmy, you're drip. You are positively <laughs> dripping. <laughs> I'm going to tell that to a stranger. I'm just going to walk dripping. by and go, oh, goodness, I respect the drip. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like that where they're like, oh, I'm cool. I recognize this. Hmm. It's like the first time my mom said lit. Ew. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because she thinks it's funny. Like she was like lit. I like that. It's like like you're like you're a firework waiting to explode. You're lit. And I'm like, kind of. Okay, like Katie at least Perry. at least you understand and can grasp the concept of what it means to actually be lit. You're not just saying words. I guess I have an appreciation there. Yeah, you I can't argue with that. At least your mom understands the words. <laughs> yeah. It's very very true. Like, how often do you see, like, these messages where I'll be like, oh, um, you know, your Uncle Jerry died, LOL. It's like, Mom, why are you laughing? It's like, what? It means lots of love. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I did see one the other day that was making fun of those sort of, like, is your teen talking in code? And it was all about boobs. And it was making up, like, fake abbreviations for, like, LOL or whatever. Mm-hmm. And STFU was shouty, those fun bags, unforgettable. <laughs> and I secretly hope that catches on because it's really funny. Your fun bags are unforgettable. Thanks, shouty. Oh, wait, no, in that situation, I would be shouty. But regardless, we See, sound that, like... That was a very good old person way of misusing words. And <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Because I'm old. I'm 16. I'm a grandmother. The fact that we're referencing a platform that's been dead for four years in every episode. <laughs> I know. Super old. I did I did find a TikTok channel the other day that was like, unforgettable vines. And I was like, this is where I belong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this movie is, is pretty bananas. Um, and because of it, following, I think, our usual format doesn't fully work. Yeah, you can't really highlight... Well, the characters and go through them piece by piece. No, especially with how they're all intertwined and stuff. Yeah, this movie is a is a lot of vignettes. Um, so we we have a lot of stuff going on. So I kind of want to explore the vignettes, if that makes sense. Like the the main things that are happening. Sure, I don't know how you even discern a main vignette. <laughs> I'm gonna try. So our right. main our main vignette is the disappearance of Carolyn. Harper. The intro. The is the intro and if there is any through line of this movie, it's her disappearance and everything uh that goes with it. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about this particular story as as far as like Carolyn's story is concerned? There's a couple ways that I process her disappearance and one of them is that I don't feel like anybody in her school specifically liked her. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of like, what, you weren't even friends with her or like, oh, she was an asshole or, or, you know, she was, she was a nobody. Mm -hmm. Like these are all the things that are kind of thrown about. And I mean, really aren't most people in high school a nobody? I mean, yeah. And tie that in with the fact that 
frequently when you have a missing person or you have, you know, a, a victim of any sort of like notable killing or something like that, people don't remember the person. Mm-hmm. So you have like the one teacher being like, hey, kids, like he, he puts the chair down and like backwards and like has this youth pastor thing with a backwards hat, metaphorically speaking. Right. Oh, hey, kids, when I was in school, a girl disappeared as well. What was her name? I don't remember. Yeah. And that's kind of the vibe of, of of that almost, where it's like, yeah, you don't remember the victims. You remember maybe the circumstances. You remember maybe the person who perpetrated it. But it's like, oh, yeah, we'll remember their name. Most people don't. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just how it is in our brains. For whatever reason, we don't remember victims' names. And I say this as a trans person who has gone to a lot of trans days of remembrance. That's the point. You say names yeah. and then you forget them after the event because there's a lot of them. I, I, it's unrealistic to remember them all. Yeah. When I was in high school, a girl went missing too. Nobody knew where she was for like a week. And then all of a sudden, her body washed up on the bank of the river during our senior picnic. What was her name? I don't remember. What's the name of your missing girl? Carolyn. 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 And I think that's something that is really important throughout this movie is that they're, they're the kids at this point where, you know, this is a huge deal. This is one of their friends or at least somebody that they tangentially knew. For some of the girls, you know, this was somebody who was in their band. But even when they first hear about the disappearance, the the worry is sort of, cloaked in judgment of, well, I guess we're going to need a new drummer. We're going to need a new band because, she, you know, she never, even she never came, came to, to practice. practice. Right. I think that that severity hasn't settled in yet. But what's also really interesting to me is when the teacher has that conversation of like, I don't remember her name. The kids are so defiantly like, her name's Carolyn. Like, of course we know her name. Mm-hmm. And my thought is, he probably knew that girl who went missing during his thing's name, too. At the time. At the time. Sure, yeah. But then years go by, and, you know, a lot of that information just sort of drifts away. And you sort of, your brain deprioritizes it, which is really sad. Yeah. In my hometown, a girl did go missing at one point. Ugh. Right? Yikes. And the, here's the thing. I don't know this girl's name. Wow. And, and I think that that really... That leads into kind of what this story is doing, especially with Carolyn, because once her disappearance happens, like obviously her friends, they're concerned. They go to the search party, but they also have like their other shit they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So they I don't want to say like they move on because that's I think that that's dismissing the way that we grieve and the way that we handle things. I don't think anyone moves on. Not until the end of the movie, because everyone's stuck in the limbo of not knowing. Yeah. They're grieving, but they can't actually do it because there's too much ambiguity of what happened. Yeah, I guess what I mean when I say they move on is that, like, they continue doing what, like, their worlds don't stop, mm-hmm. I guess is the way I should have phrased that. Yeah. Like, they're still going to cheerleading practice. They're still doing weird performances in their English classes. They're still sewing dresses for homecoming. They're going on dates. Like, they're still doing things. Whereas Carolyn's mother has stopped. Her world has stopped. And yet she's still coming to work. And yet she's still coming to work. 
Carolyn's mother is also the high school choir teacher. And the way that her grief and panic is portrayed is one of the most unflinching representations I've ever seen to the point where everything she does is so uncomfortable to watch. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things that I know we've discussed a little bit with topics of like survivor's guilt where she's behaving erratically. She's behaving in ways that are clearly not good for her, Mm -hmm. but no one's going to stop her. No, what are you, you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? You're like, you, hey, you can't come to work. Go home and be by yourself and then think about why you're by yourself. Right. Like, that. Like that's just not okay. So, okay, but here, here's a fun question that I actually want to ask about you because usually we'll watch a movie and then we'll have maybe like a day or two before we sit down to record an episode for it. Not today. Nope. <laughs> we watched it, I took a shower, and now here we are. Yes. <laughs> so, um... What I want to ask you is that how much of this film not stopping can be attributed to the constant onslaught of tragedies that we're having to deal with on a daily basis now? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like in, say, that, say when Twin Peaks came out, mm-hmm. like something like this is so much more impactful. I say as someone who actually hasn't watched him Twin Peaks, but I'm talking about just, you know, the passage of time. But... I feel like something like this is so much more impactful across the board Mm -hmm. as opposed to in a world where we have school shootings every week and Mm -hmm. we have, you know, police violence every week Mm -hmm. and we have all of these things that are just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I feel like all these kids are just kind of like, yeah, that sucks. Oh, well, I got to go do stuff now because they're just constantly living with this. And Mm -hmm. I almost feel like the adults don't know how to process this because they grew up in a simpler time and now they're dealing with stuff that they don't have the tools to deal with. That is 1,000% what's happening in this movie. And I'm very glad you picked up on that. Mm-hmm. The closest way that I can describe this, and it's it's already kind of a stretch, but it works. South Park had an entire season where there were school shootings every single day at South Park Elementary School. Mm-hmm. And the kids were so unfazed by it and Stan's mom spends the entire like episode just freaking out. Like, why aren't we doing anything about this? Why? How can you go to work right now? How can what what? No, this what is unacceptable. Do? And then Same by shit different day exactly. And then by the end of the episode or the season, she she finally hits that point where she's like, like, what does it matter? Like, this isn't gonna stop. And they just they have to figure out how to deal with it and move forward. Mm-hmm. And the people who are the most disjointed, I guess is the word that I'll use for this, are the adults in this movie. Oh, yeah. The adults are so much weirder. They're dealing in much more unhealthy ways than in, the teens. In a way, this movie kind of has two different stories functioning to it. And it's almost like, hey, the teens are in a like Riverdale-style show. And then all of the adults are the David Lynch half. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. It's like, ah, yes. they The, the, the adults are now all of the really bizarre, strange people who are doing strange things all the time. Yeah. And the kids are just kind of going through the motions and doing kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where the teen movie actually exists in this film. Yeah. Because in a different 
movie, this is a very lighthearted film. If you focus purely on the teens, like, yeah, there's some tragedy, but like, the, the kids are funny. Yeah. They're hustling. They're, they're functioning. The adults aren't. And that's where this movie gets really dour. Yeah. So, you know, Carolyn Harper and, and Mrs. Harper's story are, I guess, kind of at the heart of everything. Mm-hmm. But branching off, a lot of these vignettes are kind of, they're kind of separated by families. Mm-hmm. So the next vignette, and obviously this will also trickle off, but we have the Darlington family. And the Darlington family consists of the father who is like the town sheriff. Mm-hmm. And his and he and he's he is a black man, and his wife is a pregnant white woman who has a has a real penchant for glitter glue, and yeah. hastily making crafts with like stickers and things. And they have their two children, um, Laurel Darlington, who is played by Kayla Carter. She is a cheerleader who is also kind of dealing with some form of of queerness that is not explicitly identified but a you know a for a form of queerness of mm-hmm. of some form and then her brother Jesse who is the school mascot mm-hmm. he is the beaver and uh so so what's going on in the Darlington household oh god um first of all I'm glad that you know people's names because I don't know like anyone's name in this in this movie I just kept being like cop dad which I th- Glitter mom. Which I think is intentional, is that we know these people and we have an idea of who they are, but we don't know them on like a very intimate level because I think that's how growing up in suburbia really is. Mm-hmm. Like you know everything about people, but you don't know people, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And each one of them kind of has their own weird things going on. Mm-hmm. For example, you have a dad cop who is just trying to get through his through his day, mm-hmm. fi- find find this kid, and dad cop's wife, Glitter Mom, is cheating on him with Clown Dad. We'll get to the Clown Dad later. And because yes. I don't I don't know these people. They they are they are the par- they are the they, this is the names I have for them. And <laughs> Clown Dad is the right name. You know exactly who I'm talking about when I say Clown Dad. Glitter Mom is kind of like if you took Aunt Martha in Sleepaway Camp and made her not camp and fun. Yeah. Like if that was a real person that existed in the world, she would be this character. The thing is, I kind of knew someone who was a lot like this. Yikes. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of a, um, she's kind of was a mixture of this and Tinfoil Mom. Mm-hmm. It was my ex's mother who destroyed her brain on drugs Mm -hmm. and was obsessed with putting puffy paint on everything and constantly treated everyone who was younger than her as though they were like 13. Okay. Because that's basically where her brain was when she destroyed it. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, ah, yes, 25-year-olds. Let's go to Claire's. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, yeah, no, I know people like, like Glitter Mom. And the thing that like upsets me the most about her is that she is so callous about doing her thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, those missing posters that the mother made are so ugly. I made these new ones. I need you to make a bunch of copies of these ones. Oh, I spelled her name wrong. Well, I'm not starting over. Right. It's like, oh my God, you are you are the suburban like 
posh nightmare that I fear. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, she's, she's got this very uncanny valley Stepford Wives thing going on about her where she's clearly trying very hard to look as if everything is perfect and everything is good. But mm-hmm. in reality, she's cheating on her husband and like – She's she's not a very attentive parent. No. She's not really paying attention to what's going on in her kids' lives. I feel like she wants to treat them more like dolls. Mm-hmm. And she's all about keeping up appearances to the point where she uh she she loses her baby that she's pregnant with. And I'm not sure if she's upset about the miscarriage or upset with the fact that things aren't perfect. Because th- there's a really interesting moment too where we see her and we we can tell there's something wrong because mm-hmm. she's bleeding between the legs and she's not immediately freaking out or going to the doctor so there's this weird vague implication like did she was this self-inflicted no. like who knows uh it's it's really she's just so vacant and everything yeah. is like well, that will not do yeah Ugh. yeah I, that's very much what's going on here and because of that then you have Laurel who's having this like secret girlfriend coming to terms with who she is. And And they keep sticking stuff up their vaginas. I was going to ask you about that. So one of the ways that they have like an intimacy together is they pass notes and small objects and trinkets and a lot of porcelain objects, a lot of like a lot of little porcelain objects with with corners. Yeah. And they are, uh, they're, stuffing them up themselves and then meeting in the bathroom and then then swapping and swapping yeah and like the like the sexual educator side of my brain is like no this is so dangerous and this is how you're going to give yourself a wicked yeast infection and you should never put objects especially objects that could break Mm-hmm. up inside you like this mm-hmm. is so dangerous especially because you're in a bathroom you had to touch bathroom stuff right. to get in that stall it's a public bathroom like your hands there's so much uncleanliness you could be happening. in the same stall you could you could easily be hanging out in the same stall you could make out in the same stall no we're gonna swap things that have glitter on them over the door yeah there's a lot of pointed angles like there's just my brain is like on like the very primitive level just ah don't do this mm-hmm. but then on like this very weird like that closeted queer expression side of my brain, I look at the two of them and I'm like, this is a really beautiful form of intimacy for when you can't actually be with somebody. You're just figuring it out. Yeah, you're just figuring it out. It's this weird way that you make sense of your own sexuality. And this is what happens to work for the two of them. Because after they're done sharing objects, Mm -hmm. they always hold hands over the bathroom stall. It's one of those things where... This way they can be together, they can show that intimacy, but if somebody else comes in the bathroom, they can unlock their hands, and then they're in separate stalls, and Mm -hmm. then there's no weird questions going on. So I understand that side of it, too. And it's really weirdly beautiful in, like, a really fucked up and dangerous way that I I don't hold it against them. It's like, I get it. You got to figure out how to show love and express that love physically the way that you can, and this is how you figured it out. I mean, do you ever think about the sloppy things you did when you were figuring out your sexuality? 
all the time. It's what I go to therapy for. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's like you do things wrong. Like when I was um, when I was a kid, like the first way I learned to, to masturbate was with like a cloth. Mm-hmm. And, oh, this helps clean up. So it's like, oh, well, I'll use a towel. Use towels to clean up or a washcloth or whatever it was. And it's like, wow, that is a lot of friction. And I fucked myself up. Mm-hmm. But you don't notice it at the time because you're like, oh, this feels great. And then like your adrenaline goes down and you're like, I've made a terrible error. Mm-hmm. And like you just make these sloppy fucking mistakes when you're figuring out your sexuality like that. There and was... so I understand the idea of like we're going to put stuff up in us, like our, our own not smooth kinder eggs. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> there was a girl that I went to high school with who when she lost her virginity – and the guy, like, you know, took the condom off and threw it away. She later picked it up and, like, put it back in the wrapper, like, used. Oh. And then she, like, covered it in clear tape and put it in her memory box. Okay. Like, and it was years later oh. that she, well, when you put it in all, like, the clear tape, I know, you seal it, but still, right? It's, like, laminating it. I know, but. But we ended up finding it when she was, like, going away to college. And she was going through her memory box and she found that and she's like, oh, my God, like, why did I keep this? Uh And, you know, this is like, what, three, maybe four years later. Uh And she's like, why did I keep this? And she looks at it and she's like, I know that I did this. And I know that, like, I'm the one who, like, put this in here and wrapped it up and kept it. I was the gross one. She's like, I, know- I get it. <laughs> she's like, I know that I'm the one who did it, but I cannot for the life of me remember why I thought to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... I think that's what's happening. Like, this is a thing where, like, in the moment, this makes complete sense to them, and this is their way of expressing their love. But, like, five years from now, they're going to be sitting around, like, a group of friends. Maybe they're still together. Maybe they're not. And they're going to think about the stuff they did when they were teenagers, and it's going to hit them. Wow, that was really fucked up and, like, probably super dangerous for my pH balance. Yeah, but... Oh, to be young and invincible. Yes, to be young and <laughs> invincible. Um, which, I mean, the the person who I think gives kind of that young and invincible mindset is is her brother Jesse. Mm-hmm. But that's at like the very end of the film, which I don't want to talk about just yet. I he he seems the most together and chill. Of them I all. agree. I, I like th- him. I think he's I got like it together. <laughs> Um, so the next family that I want to talk about are the Kitzmillers. Okay. So the Kitzmiller family uh, that has Mom Lynn, aka Tinfoil Mom, as you okay. called her. Gotcha. Or her husband Dan, Clown Dad, Clown Dad, and their daughter Grace, who you know Grace is, I guess, our de facto protagonist. That we're supposed to, we follow her more than we follow Carolyn. I th- I think we follow her the most because a lot of the other people we follow as groups where she's kind of on her own for yeah. big chunks of the movie. Um and then her brother is Andy. And Who's Andy is basically our antagonist. Andy is our antagonist even though there's a lot of really despicable people in here, but Andy is like a football player. He's kind of like hot shot on campus. He at one point is like trying to date Laurel who we know is queer and that's why she's like don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like the way you touch me. She's very matter of fact, and I love her. I kind of love that every woman in this movie is like, don't talk. Don't yeah. don't touch me. Yeah. Like, I don't want I don't want to look at you. <laughs> yeah, they're they're great. Uh, but Andy is also the last person to see Carolyn alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's heavily implied that, you know, he's cheating on his girlfriend. 
well, that part's not implied. That's a fact. He's, That's true. He's cheating on his girlfriend with her, but Carolyn has second thoughts, doesn't want to do anything with him. So he basically is like, fuck you, bitch, and leaves her. And she trips and hits her head. And ultimately, like, that's what kills her. Mm -hmm. But of course, he doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't do anything. But what I love is that before anything happens between him and Carolyn, Carolyn, like, scratches a C into his forehead. And her, like, belief behind it is since she's not going to have her glasses on, oh, I can see you in the dark this way. Mm -hmm. And throughout the entire course of the movie that C on his forehead does not stop bleeding. Mm -hmm. He is constantly wearing a Band-Aid that is just soaked in blood like a fucking telltale heart. It mm -hmm. is so cool as, as like a, a symbol of just the constant guilt because he knows and he could tell people and he could say something, but he doesn't because he's trying to cover his own ass mm -hmm. because he's a bad person. But at the same time, he's also a teenager, and teenagers have a tendency to be in self-preservation mode 24-7. Yeah. So the idea of him doing the right thing is probably not going to cross his mind at all. Mm -hmm. To the point where the other member of that family is Grandma, who we don't see very often. But oh, Grandma. She sure makes a, an impact when she does. Um, he convinces her to call the cops because obviously he can't call and use his own voice. Mm -hmm. And she basically just calls the cops and says, you know, she was alive when I left her. Carolyn Harper, hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. So grandma's also covering for his ass, which is like a very old school grandma thing to do. I'm not sure grandma's aware of anything that's happening at any point. No, because she talks about how she smokes weed. And then at one point... Grandma might be watching porn. Might be watching or, porn. Or Home Shopping Network. Who yeah, knows? Who, who knows what grandma's up to these yeah, days? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's some form of like dementia that trickles down in this family across tinfoil mom and grandma. Mm -hmm. And presumably the daughter eventually. Yeah. There's definitely some generational thing going on here because the mom character, we don't ever fully get an explanation of what's going on with her, but she seems very much in isolation. She seems very paranoid. She's not changing her clothing. Mm -hmm. um, she's sleeping on a pillow covered in tinfoil. Um, there's a great scene where she's making a meatloaf and... It's so close up and gross looking. The squelching. Just a lot of squelching meat. And then she just ends up chucking it at her uh, her husband's truck because she clearly knows like something's going on. She's not stupid. But she's displaying a lot of uh, self-isolating behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really it's really interesting to, to watch her kind of unfold and then for her daughter, Grace to then become kind of the de facto head of the household because her parents cannot, they're not capable of being fucking parents. Yeah, the dad is, aside from the fact that he's a clown, because that's a thing, but like removing that, he reminds me a lot of the dad from Pretty in Pink. Oh, yeah. He's, where, he's got a lot of that going on. Yeah, he doesn't, I don't, he's not like a horrible alcoholic, I don't think, but he refuses to get his shit together, including even finding a job, where his daughter says yeah. like, dad, do you want to get a job? He's like, I have a job. I'm a clown. And he's like, where do you go all day when you're pretending to work? It's like, go to the quarry. Just sit there. It's quiet. It's nice. And here's the thing is, of all of the adults in this movie, I feel the most for Clown Dad mm -hmm. because his wife's clearly a lot. And I think just the idea of 
going somewhere quiet and not having to deal with the stress of like taking care of her. I, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Like I've been around people with dementia in my family through like Alzheimer's and stuff. And I, I totally get it. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very clear that mom needs help, but it is equally as clear that dad is not the person who can help her. Oh no, he's checked out from yeah. like his family. Yeah. Or no, that's I mean I wouldn't even say his family, I guess. He's checked out from his wife and his marriage. Yeah. He's sort of in his kids' lives. And but I think he can't be around them too much because it's just, you know, it's a catch twenty two. And because both of them are dealing so heavily with their own issues, they are completely unaware of what's going on in their children's lives. Which includes the fact that their son is the last person who has seen this missing girl alive. Mm -hmm. And he also has a wound that has not stopped bleeding. And Mm -hmm. at no point do either of the parents go, hey, what's going on with your face? (laughs) We should take you to a doctor. Because that's just not the world that they're in. Like, everyone in that family is existing in their own universe. It's true. And... This movie was, I think, classified as, like, a drama mystery or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the Fandango synopsis, I believe, called it, like, a noir, mm-hmm. which I don't think is incorrect. But specifically with him and the circumstances of, like, his scar and the murder, it's definitely got elements of, like, a gothic narrative. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, why do you think a girl would carve into a boy's face like that? I, I understand the idea of like, oh, hickeys. Okay, cool. You're making mm-hmm. your mark. Or this girl feels invisible. It's like, well, it's Carolyn with a C. So, you know, there we go. I can see myself there now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, or maybe if it's something like, well, I don't want to look at you because you suck and I don't actually want to have sex with you. But I want to have sex. So I guess I'm going to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but like then I can see myself and like I don't hate myself. I hate you. So I can focus on that. Like who knows what her exact circumstances are. But it reminds me so much of like being a high schooler in the mid 2000s where you had these girls who were like, um, yeah, I actually like to drink blood. So, um, yeah, if you get a cut, like, let me lick it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really going anywhere with that, but that's just kind of where my brain is connecting these dots because I can't, I have, I have no other point of reference for why that is a thing other than like a cool, constant bleeding heart type thing. You're such a nobody. Say my name. What? What's my name? Carolyn. With a C. Ow! Fuck! Now I can find you in the dark. We get separated. I don't fully know why Carolyn puts her initial in his forehead. Part of me thinks that it's like this weird de facto scarlet letter where... She fully knows that this dude is cheating on his girlfriend with her. And part of me thinks it's almost her way of being like, I want you to know every single time. Because like she clearly is just like, I just want to have sex. I don't care who it's with. I just want to have sex. And this is her way of sort of being like, yeah, I want you to be able to remember that like you did this to another girl. Maybe because it makes her feel better. Like it absolves her a little bit of the guilt she might have. Mm -hmm. I'm unsure. But... I agree with you in thinking about like being a teen in the 2000s because until probably the last like five years or so, I 100% used to have a scar of a like a like a hand drawn star on my ankle. 
mm-hmm. because when I was 15, me and a girl that I really liked and she had like tattoos and was really cool and covered in piercings. I, I didn't have any of that yet. Um, she was like, well, I can carve a star. It's called scarification, which like, yeah, scarification's a real thing, but it doesn't work if you're like using a safety pin and just scratching. Like you're not going to get <laughs> scarification. But I straight up did have a star scar on my ankle and it only oh, recently so faded. Painful. Right on the bone? It was pretty painful. I'll, oh. I'll admit. But it was this thing where she was like, yeah, this is what like tattoos feel like too. And I was like, oh, well, then I guess I can definitely handle a tattoo because I could handle that just fine. But I remember my mom saw it once and she was like, what did you do to yourself? And I was like, well, I can't have a tattoo. It's like scarification because that was the thing is being 15 and co-opting other cultures and treating it as if like it's this new edgy rock thing when it's it's not. It's uh-huh. just aping on indigenous cultures and we're all fucking stupid for doing it. But that that thought kind of popped in my head when she like carves her initial into his forehead. I was like, you know, I want to judge her for this. But at the same time, I definitely let a girl who I liked put a star in my ankle <laughs> because I thought it would be cool. So I don't fully know what she was going for. And at the same time, I don't fully know what the fuck I was going for when I got that. Yeah. It's just a thing that happened and it is what just it is. Teens doing weird teen stuff. But there definitely is an element of like scarlet letterism in this movie because there's the discussion about, oh, are you a slut or are you a tease? Yeah. And that's like a whole conversation that eventually comes back when they need to yell in like Mr. Badman McDude bro's face. Yes. And uh, that whole conversation happens with one of the other really prominent characters who doesn't come from uh, like the family units that we're examining, Mm -hmm. but is Charlotte. And Charlotte is a black student who is wearing the most incredible outfits this entire movie. She is a lot of attention. Oh, I'm obsessed with her. Like she has this just really awesome, like counterculture sense of fashion. She does like face paint. Basically, she's dressed for like the stage at all times. Yes, like just like high glam makeup. Like I'm I'm obsessed with her. I think she's the fucking coolest. Um her and Afra are the two that I'm like you're so cool and they're also the bandmates of of Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Um so she oh god, so cool. Just so fucking cool. Um I love that I love that we have these characters because they are also subverting expectation in every way shape and form but at the same time highlighting people who have always existed but Mm -hmm. we've never put on screen before oh yeah when i saw them it made me think of like the conversations about whether or not you can be goth or punk or whatever if you're not white like for like first off if you are a person who thinks that you have to be white in order to be goth or punk you're a fucking poser yep and i will fight you behind whatever venue we're at. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll fight you behind the gym. <laughs> I'll fight you behind the gym. So the one girl, um, Afra, I think she's so fucking rad and I wish that we got more of her. Mm-hmm. But like she's definitely not highlighted very much in this movie because mm-hmm. I think with the exception of Charlotte, pretty much we're all just focusing on family units. Yeah. 
And there's just so many characters. Yeah. It's... I don't really know how she would factor into this more. But, like, I just like looking at her, like, animal print hijab that's got, like, safety pins and shit. And it looks awesome with her, like, killer makeup. I'm like, you're so cool. I want you on the screen more. And that's the thing that I love about this is because the the three girls that are part of Carolyn's band, and I will fully admit, the third girl, I, I think her name is April, but again, there's a lot of characters. They barely say like what girl's mm-hmm. name is who. And that's part of it is that you're not fully supposed to be able to know them. And also, this is a movie that was made in Chicago and uses a lot of Chicago actors who sort of exclusively work in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So even if I go to IMDb to kind of like trigger that memory, a lot of them don't have their headshots there. So I don't <laughs> remember and I can't like piece together. So I'm apologizing sincerely. April is not your character name. But the three girls that are in the band have such, like, fuck you, this is who I am fashion. Uh-huh. And women like this have always existed. Mm-hmm. There have always been women of color in these counterculture groups and all of these, like, quote unquote, edgy subculture groups. But we never highlight them. We don't ever see them in movies because there's this weird Tim Burton whitewashed idea of what it means to be punk or goth. And that sort of became the narrative. And yet now, like one of the things that I love so much about TikTok, and then I'm also in a makeup group on Facebook that's like makeup but make it goth slash grunge. Mm -hmm. And it is an incredibly inclusive space to the point where like, If a makeup brand has had like a racist history or they've been really shitty to people of color, you can't promote their brand in the group. Mm -hmm. If you are a white person who's like, I'm going to do an eyebrow slit or I'm going to have locks in my hair, you will immediately get sent education on like why that's cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. And I'm obsessed with that because it's now allowing all of these wonderful, beautiful people who have been made to feel like they don't fit into these counterculture groups because of the color of their skin. And it's like, no, you've always been here. You deserve to be acknowledged. You are absolutely part of this group. If anything, you are, in most cases, the inspiration for where a lot of these styles come from. Uh And it's it's time that we notice that because I remember like, When this movie came out, people were freaking out about this fashion. They were like, holy shit, punk goth black girl. That's so fucking rad. Mm -hmm. I never get to see that. And I know damn well, based on what I've seen on TikTok, my old ass scrolling through, there are so many like incredibly just fashionable black goth women who cite this movie as like, yeah, I was like, fuck yeah, that's exactly what I want. I can do that. That's possible. Mm -hmm. Just further, further proving representation is so important, even with like fashion clicks. Yeah. No, see, I am totally out of all of those worlds. Like, I'm not in Facebook groups. I'm not on TikTok. And you haven't brought any of this up to me before right now. But I'm just (laughs) really happy to hear that. Yeah. It's it's really, it's really cool. And I, I think that it's really important to... To acknowledge that. And I, I mm-hmm. love that this movie does so. Um, so there is an incredible writer that I know named Ashley Blackwell. Um, any of you who have ever seen the horror documentary Horror Noir on Shudder, Ashley's one of the producers and she speaks on it a lot. Ashley also 
you know, teaches film and she runs this, this just awesome website called the Graveyard Shift Sisters. Um, absolutely one of the pioneering voices talking about blackness and horror. And she wrote a review of this movie called Knives and Skin is an amazing pastel noir therapy session, okay. which I fucking love. Um, you know, talks about the the vignettes and, and all of that fun stuff. But I love how she talks about, about Charlotte. Charlotte is self-assured and unknowing with an enviable confidence of reliable, no wave flair and performative prowess beneath lies a similar bevy of insecurities that link to a common desire to make intimate connections a personal reality. A long, palpable glance at the football player Jason, who's a hint less shy about his interest, reveals an assumed outsider, a rebel with yearnings like the rest of us, a perfect pitch tale of letting fear unravel to go on, honey, take a chance. I love so much that Charlotte is this no fucks given Mm -hmm. bad bitch who also has a crush on a football player. And loves pink. And loves pink. Yeah. I, she contains multitudes. Yeah. And I think this movie is all about that, is all about this like teenagers containing multitudes sort of thing. And she's, I think, the best example of it. Oh, yeah. She is, in, in a different movie, she is like the cool, heroic, like bad bitch. Like she, she, she's the Josie in a Josie and the Pussycats in a different movie. Oh, totally. But she's in this movie and she's, this is a different story. Yeah. I, I, I just, I love it so much. I think that it's, I think that she's great. Um, so something else that Ashley says is additionally, Knives and Skin is a story about the toxic clutter power and gender inequity consistently creates. Those not yet women, far beyond girls, confront the weight certain men and boys have imposed on their livelihoods. Mm-hmm. So I want to use that to sort of transition into some of the uncomfortability that exists in this movie mm-hmm. that I think also goes hand in hand with the comment you made earlier about thinking about the things that we did when we were figuring shit out and kind of cringing. Yeah. So Grace has a little bit of a side gig in this that movie. Where, a side gig, all right. <laughs> where she's selling her mother's used underwear. Mm-hmm. And we only see one interaction where she's selling the used underwear to her history teacher. Mm-hmm. But she's all, or I think actually he's the principal. Yes. Yeah, he's the principal is who she's sell- selling he, it to. He's, he's in charge of like the meeting or the yeah, assembly. Yeah, the assembly. So I think he's the principal. But later when she reveals to her mom, like, yeah, I've been selling your underwear, she says that she's been selling them to like builders and bankers and doctors and lawyers. So she's got like a whole... The butcher, the baker. The, yeah, she's got kind of everything. But that's uh, that's her side hustle is that she's selling her mom's used panties to like men who want them. And mm-hmm. here's the thing. Not going to kink shame people who are into sniffing used panties. If that's your thing, that's your thing. Mm-hmm. If you're buying them from an underage girl, I'm absolutely going to judge your creepy Get, ass. It's a little dicey. Uh, it gets a lot dicey. And then you have the uh, the awful substitute teacher who she sells her mom's meds to. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to make moves. And oh my God, the, the, the baller move of reading his text for a sonnet assignment. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, oh, it is such a great power move that she pulls. But that's the thing is like, she's not interested in this. She just knows there's a market for this and she's going to take advantage of it. Like she's an entrepreneur. Let's be real here. Yeah. And 
not in the entrepreneurial sense, but I was watching this going, BJ, you were one of these girls in high school. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> Here is the thing. I think I've joked about it, like, probably in passing on um, on the podcast before, but if not, there is a very weird pocket of millennials, depending on, like, when you got internet access in your home, how old you were, what sort of limitations your parents set on your internet access, mm-hmm. where there is a whole lot of us who engaged in a lot of really risky behavior. Because that's what I would describe what she's doing as. Like, you're selling medication and underwear. Like, that is risky behavior. Mm -hmm. For sure. Because you're also selling them to, like, full-grown men. And there are moments where I will sit there and and think, yeah, my friends and I would sometimes, like, be on the family computer and go on, like, number one chat avenue and say we were 19. And, like, cyber, I guess, is the only way you could think of it, Mm -hmm. with, like, strangers online when we were clearly, like, 12 and 13 years old. Yeah, like, Pen15 had a whole thing about that. Mm Mm-hmm. And and it's – that's real. And what's also really interesting is because the internet was so new that there weren't the conversations about that sort of behavior that we have now. Like, I definitely never sent – nude photos of myself because like then they would know I'm not 19 Uh but there were definitely times where I would be talking with somebody and they would clearly be like I want to meet up I want to do this and of course that's when you panic and you exit out and you change your screen name and you never go back in that room ever again oh yeah no I had something like that where uh mine was on DeviantArt with a 40 something year old bald man who his, his name was his name wasn't Greg, but we'll say it was Greg for the sake of the story. And uh, yeah, he would just message me, and he was he was very nice. Of course he was. Of course he seemed nice. Right, because they all do. Yeah, and I was like a senior in high school, and he was basically just being like, "Oh well, you know, I'd take care of you, like whatever." Which, when you're a kid, like that sounds very illustrious. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, no, you'll just like you'll you seem like you're nice, and that's all I need. And then. We were going to go down to Disney to play in the marching band parade over spring break at Disney. And he's like, oh, I live in Florida. Because, of course, he fucking lives in Florida. But (laughs) I live in Florida. Maybe I could meet you. We could, like, hang out. And then I went, ah! (laughs) And it got too real. And I blocked him and, like, deleted everything. Yeah. I mean, like, and that's a a world that I don't think the younger generations fully understand because – I've, I've told people younger than me about this before, and they're yeah. always like, you fucking idiot. Why would you do that? And I'm like, because we didn't know any better. The in- Like, we invented the rules of the internet we that we have the now. We invented the don't talk to strangers on the thing. That was in response to us. It was in response to us talking to strangers on the thing. Like, yeah, and now, stupid. and now the, the, our parents are the ones who need to stop talking to strangers uh, yeah, on the thing. Dear God, please, please someone teach our parents how to not fall for scams. I'm currently getting text messages for my dead grandmother because she clearly said yes to something at some point, and we have the same birthday, so now everybody's trying to find her through me. It's so annoying. Oh, that was fun. I got a lovely text from my mother today. Yeah, you did. Which I don't I don't know if the listeners like it when I just totally dump on my mom, but it makes me feel better because like this woman sucks. Um, she sent me a picture with the caption of, uh, hey, I didn't realize you were older than me. And I was like, what? So I look at the picture, and it's like 
this 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 letter, this junk, whatever it is. From like the AARP or something. Basically something like that saying like, oh, hello, uh, it seems you're turning 65 in September. And I'm sure you have lots of questions about how retirement and da-da-da-da-da works. Uh, contact us, et cetera, et cetera. And first of all, I'm not turning 65 in September. My birthday's not even in September. Nope. <laughs> and the weirder part is that it was sent to my mother's house who I haven't lived with her in like 10 or 11 years. Mm-hmm. And it was under my dead name that I haven't used in probably eight or nine years. So clearly doesn't matter. But my mom was like, ha ha ha, dead name. This is funny, right? Look at this spam of someone trying to rip you off. Isn't this hysterical? Man, dead names sure are silly. I mean, it'd be one thing if she acknowledged that that's a dead name and that it was super inappropriate for her to be like, hey, remember this? Like, that's... But, but nope, she doesn't she have that capacity. she's the worst. Yeah, she doesn't have that capacity. And I'm sorry she's. That's why that my capacity. mom actually fits in comfortably in this world. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, a little bit. It's gross. It's really weird the way that the internet has completely changed how generation gaps exist. Because as much as I want to judge the like risky behavior of these kids i was doing way worse at their age like Mm -hmm. infinitely worse things at Mm -hmm. their age i wasn't i was a good kid you were a good kid i i'm proud of you for being a good kid because one of us had to be if we were both messes at (laughs) but okay bringing this back to something we talked about earlier where um I don't feel like anybody, including the people who are in the band with her, really liked Caroline very much. Mm-hmm. How much of being in high school is hanging out with people that you don't really like because you just don't want to be a loser who's alone, so then you just are friends with people who you have, like, maybe passing interests with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I wasn't a bad kid on the internet because all of my friends who were, like, living on the internet were on, like, 4chan mm-hmm. and turning into, like, toxic monsters. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that because I thought it wasn't very fun. (laughs) So then I ended up in friendly places like DeviantArt and Quizilla where the predators were. (laughs) See, I was a monster who did both. I was like in horrible chat rooms and would like be pretending to be a 19-year-old lesbian in chat rooms with what I thought were other lesbians, but what I'm pretty sure were just other men Mm -hmm. pretending to be lesbian so that they could fantasize about lesbian sex. Yeah. And then what would happen is when one of them was like, here's my picture, and it was their dick, and I freaked out and exed out of everything, I would then go to, like, Neopets to cleanse my palate. So, like, (laughs) that was my life as a 13-year-old. You weren't a Club Penguin kid? No. God, no. I was a Neopets (laughs) kid. I was too cool for Club Penguin. I was too cool for Club Penguin. You couldn't swear there. Um... You could swear at Neopets? In private messages. Oh, well, I was never on Neopets. And then like, I don't know and that. then like two years later, they were like, oops, you can't use any of those words anymore because there are kids on this website. <laughs> um, but kind of like circling back to everything and how this movie is so many vignettes and things intertwining. Yes. There was an interview with Jennifer Reeder over at Daily Dead um, with Heather Wixon. And I really like this interview. But I want to read the question and then a little bit of jennifer's response to this because i think that it's really fascinating so heather says what i think is really interesting about this is that there are so many different characters that have their own arc and they interweave with each other but it feels like the women's stories are at the forefront of this when i was a kid we had a lot of sugar-coated versions of what female adolescence is but i don't think this does that at all i was curious if that was contentious in the back of your mind when you were doing knives and skin that you were exploring through these things that young women go through that we don't talk about very often Mm -hmm. 
And Jennifer says, absolutely. When I was a teenager, I voraciously consumed films that were not meant for me specifically. Most of these I knew even as a young person were not authentic to my life. I think that the industry is still making lots and lots of films for young women. They are a a robust consumer of media, both television and film, but I think that girls are still getting totally shortchanged. At the weakest, these portrayals are inauthentic, but I feel they can also be genuinely problematic for a lot of young women just trying to find their way in the world. I wanted to make a film that, even though it's really fantastical, is also really grounded in the reality of girlhood. I wanted to use genre. It's not quite a horror film. It's not quite a thriller. It's not quite a musical. It's really genre adjacent. But I knew that I could use genre as a curtain to pull back and talk about the aspects of consent, or more specifically, violations of consent among young women, or the tenuous relationship among young girls to each other, or young girls to their mothers, or to their parents, or to their teachers. Trying to be as real and authentic in those portrayals, even though, like I said, the whole thing is vibrating these pinks and purples, the super girl power energy. It's a fantastical film, but I also wanted it to feel very grounded in terms of how it portrays the hardships of everyday girlhood. And I love that. I was going to say, do you, do you think she captured that? Like what she set out to do? Do you think she achieved that? Absolutely. And we were having a discussion before we sat down to record about how it, it's derivative, but makes sense that we just compare art to other art because that's how, that's how we kind of digest and compare things and like sort of sell it to other people. Mm-hmm. But when we sat down to like, oh, we're going to do a horror movie because we haven't done one in a while. And obviously we both consume a lot of horror. There was sort of a little bit of a humming and hawing about what we were doing, and I wasn't sure what you were going to pick, but when I think about like a lot of definitive teen horror, so much of it is not catered towards teens, much less teen girls, despite the fact that they frequently star teen girls. 1,000% agree. Yeah. So like, yeah, maybe one day we'll cover Halloween, but guess what? That's not really a teen girl movie. It just has teen girls. Mm -hmm. And like, there's nothing wrong with that, but like, There needs to be layers. There needs to be different priorities. What I also think is interesting is I think Knives and Skin falls with promising young women in that there are plenty of people who are like, this isn't a horror movie or even like this isn't a genre film. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely is. I think it just doesn't feel that way to people who can't identify with a lot of the source material because there are moments in this film that are kind of my worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very unsettling and very hard to to process because I absolutely was sneaking around when I was 14, 15 years old and having sexual encounters I was not prepared for in locations that were not safe. Mm-hmm. And when that's how the movie opens, it's one of those kind of gut punch moments where I recognize how lucky I am to have gotten through what I got through. Mm-hmm. Because as we discussed in the Promising Young Woman episode, I had, you know, not a great experience before and my processing of that was that I got really reckless Mm -hmm. with a lot of my sexual behavior in high school um and that carried into throughout the rest of my life in all honesty probably until like right before I met you Mm -hmm. and I look at the this character and my heart just breaks for her because I'm like oh my god I've been there I've definitely been that person who lied to my mom and was like oh I'm going to do this and in reality I'm like getting dicked down in a field next to a playground like just because i didn't know what else to fucking do with my emotions and my hormones and whatever was going on so i love that this movie is is unafraid 
to address that because what happens to Carolyn ultimately when they they do find her and they do have the autopsy it's that she uh she had like heart failure basically yeah and they're like you know she's a little young to be having heart problems but you know life sometimes gets you down and we see her fall and like hit her head after the dude leaves her like this isn't an instance where like she was kidnapped and like brutally murdered and it's this big tragedy like it was an accident Mm -hmm. and it was a, a cause of a lot of different things of going somewhere having second thoughts, being treated like shit, Mm -hmm. and then getting hurt and feeling scared and panicking and then having, you know, existing anxieties and, you know, what have you, and and then that's just what happened. And that's sadder to me. Oh, yeah. The thing that got her was the fact that she didn't want to be, like, a doormat to this dude. Yeah. She wanted to be in control, and he, he didn't like that, and then he stormed off in a huff. And yeah. left her with no glasses in the dark. Yeah. Just, like, it's it's heartbreaking. Like, it's so heartbreaking to really sit there and and process that. And I look at, you know, some of the other stuff that 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 goes on between these girls and how they interact with, with their parents and how there are moments where they sort of have to become parent, the parents or mm-hmm. the responsible one in their life. And, you know, doing what they can to just try to figure shit out. And it's not always pretty. And sometimes we do fuck up and do dangerous things. That doesn't mean that we deserve to, you know, die or be treated poorly. Mm -hmm. But I love that this movie is so unafraid to acknowledge that sometimes when you're a teenager and when you're going through adolescence, like things are complicated and they're hard and they're weird and you know, going to that subversive angle that we talked about earlier, I want to talk about the music. Mm-hmm. So this movie is covered in 80s music. Acapella 80s music. Acapella 80s music sung by an all-girl choir. And it's, you know, the girls in the movie because they're all in choir. And Carolyn's mom is their choir teacher who is struggling so deeply to figure out what's going on with her daughter that she's coming to school wearing her daughter's clothing like nonstop throughout the movie. It's really hard to watch. Amongst other weird things that are unfortunately difficult. Yeah. Um, It's the grieving process is different for everybody. And in some instances it is unrecognizable behavior and that's what we're getting with her mom. Mm -hmm. But I love that the music that's chosen in this movie because it's very intentional Mm -hmm. are a lot of these 80 songs that are very, upbeat and very poppy um i think you said these are all songs that could have been on the valley girl soundtrack a lot of them yeah yeah i melt with you is the centerpiece of the valley yeah. girl soundtrack she's so like i melt with you and our lips are sealed so like we've got like go-go's uh blue, blue monday a little bit less so yeah but. but they're these songs that our brains sort of react to as like these are fun and positive but then when you like really really listen to the lyrics you're like this isn't fun at all yeah and I think, uh, I think that's what, what goes on in this movie is you have these like beautiful, rich, just luscious colors and flush, floods of light. But it's not fun. No. And I do really love that they specifically used 80s music for this because if you look at the pieces of this movie as themselves, then you recognize everything. Like it's all familiar. No, you get it. Like. Girl goes missing, high school environment, like parents are fucked up. Like all this makes sense. 
Like, in fact, you see um, something like Stranger Things season one is very similar to this in a way. But now you have these songs that everyone knows. And it makes sense for, like, the choir teacher to be like, hey, these are what we're going to play because this is what I listened to as a kid. And it kind of it kind of comes back to where we talked about high school never changing, but it totally does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think also it's it's acknowledging I know what sort of movie you think that this should be, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really smart choice. And it even goes down to, you know, they're, they're using code words when the search party goes out, and one of the things they say is, you know, if you need help or if you get lost or whatever, just shout out, girls just want to have fun. And there's a moment when three of the girls are bringing casseroles to... It's always fucking casseroles. It's always fucking casseroles. The one line is like, I'm not ready for casseroles yet because that's what people... People in the suburbs always bring you a casserole or something when, when someone, someone dies. dies. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, after they found Carolyn, so they're bringing the casseroles over and mom is like, you should take something from her room so that you don't forget her. And she basically traps them in there and has a mental breakdown and starts crying. Mm -hmm. And they start singing Girls Just Want to Have Fun to, like, calm her down because, you know, you taught us how to sing. Like, you have a purpose. But also. But also that's the code for, like, (laughs) I'm uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. which I just think is so fucking smart. I never asked her what kind of funeral she wanted. I never asked. (laughs) So now what? I you Mrs. Harper, that's not true. You taught us how to sing. <laughs> you can sing. I come home in the morning light. My mother says when you gonna live your life right. Oh, mother dear, we're not the fortunate ones. And girls, they want to have fun. Oh, girls just want to have fun. This movie ultimately is just really smart. And it's a very interesting turn in telling a teen girl story because it's so different than what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And I think that that movie deserves to be commended. It definitely deserves to be seen and analyzed. And I I hope that this episode inspired more people to seek this movie out because it did a good festival run and then it just sort of appeared on Hulu. And unless you're, quote unquote, like in the know about a movie like this. Unless you're a cool movie hipster. Right. You're probably probably not going to know that this movie even exists, let alone that it's a really impactful story about girlhood and how hard it is. And honestly, about how even once you leave girlhood and you become a woman, it's just as fucking hard. Mm -hmm. And it just gets more complicated and more confusing. And it's always difficult mm-hmm. so that's kind of how i feel about uh, knives and skin so harmony mm. knives and skin is asking you to the prom because homecoming's for dickheads no homecoming's for assholes well this year it's for stupid assholes are you saying i'm an asshole <laughs> no that's not what i mean but uh that line is not gonna make any sense to somebody who didn't actually see this movie <laughs> no that that whole interaction is honestly really cute like it's it. very cute and i love it but um, 
This movie's asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? It's a definite yes. I don't know how often I would revisit this movie, but the payoff at the end where everything kind of comes together and life moves on, like, that's just kind of what happens, but it's not hanging in uncertainty. It's not so uh, morbid anymore. Mm-hmm. There, there, There's optimism, and it's all kind of highlighted by the mascot boy who I Jesse. love. Jesse, yes. Uh, everyone thinks he's about to jump off of the school roof because like, oh, well, this movie's depressing enough. Why wouldn't a kid jump off of a roof? Mm-hmm. And he just goes, no, I'm not going to jump off the roof. God. And like the, the writing in that scene is very funny and it's, very cute. It's very funny. They're trying to get him not to jump and they're cheering like, don't jump. You probably and... won't even die. I'll just break your legs. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part of that is because Grace is the one who says, you'll probably just break your legs. And uh, Laurel's girlfriend, who, again, I don't know her name and I'm sorry that I don't know her name. But she says, unless you swan dive and go head first, to which Grace says, yeah, and then it's going to be this huge mess and... It's already pretty fucking messy down here. Just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, reiterating all of them are kind of fucked up in their own unique ways. Like, don't make it worse sort of thing. As yeah. Like a very nice piece of nihilistic humor. Yeah, but I love that he's on the roof just looking at the view because he can see the highway. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can convey to people who are only from, like, more metropolitan areas, mm-hmm. but... That's a that's a real feeling because mm-hmm. I'm I'm from a small town and the highway cuts through it, but I think you go 15 minutes south to like maybe like Oberlin College or something is like more towards you know the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and yeah, what what what's around you? You have this small nucleus and you're kind of stuck with it, good or bad, and then nothing surrounds you, and you just need to know that like oh there's a way out. There's there's like civilization. This is this is a path to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. anywhere else and like that's a real feeling that i don't see ever something that i will never be able to unshake from my mind like i will be on my deathbed and this will be one of those core memories that i'll be able to pull from mm-hmm. is where i grew up because it, yes it's the chicagoland area but it is extremely north I was at the most northeastern point of the state, like mm-hmm. right on the lake, right on the border. And there was a bright blue walking bridge over the the busy city in town. And that road is what you had to take if you wanted to go into Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Or if you wanted to like, you know, go south towards you could you could see whatever. That blue bridge, if you stood on it and you looked north you could see the state line road of where it turned into Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And not to say that people like had great ambitions to go to Wisconsin, but it was this idea of there are other places than where we are. Mm-hmm. And if you then went to the lake and you went on the pier and you went to the furthest point of the lake and you looked south, you would see Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like you could, it was far away, but you could see it. Mm-hmm. And those two places brought me so much comfort growing up because it was this constant reminder that the world is bigger than where I am and there is a way out. Mm -hmm. I can find it. I can take a boat if I need to get to the city. 
I can take this road if I need to get to Wisconsin, wherever. Mm -hmm. But there's a way out. And that moment at the end of this movie, I think, encapsulates everything the movie is trying to say. Is that, like, shit is so hard when you're a teenager and you feel so congested and so confined and claustrophobic. But you get out. You grow. You're not going to be a teenager forever. You're not going to be stuck in this world forever. Mm -hmm. There are options. And sometimes... That's all you need to know is that there's an option. Yeah. And what I think this movie does so well with that, and honestly with the resolution of this film in general, is that this movie doesn't reward you in a very obvious way for a film. Mm -hmm. I agree. And what you get is not like perfect. It doesn't tie up all the loose ends. It's not necessarily even fully satisfying because it's like, oh, her death was an accident. Like there's no killer. There's no like big cinematic kind of thing because this feels so much more real for what small town suburban life is specifically like, especially in the face of a tragedy. Yeah. I think, I think this movie kind of nails it and I love this movie I'm so glad that this is what you took away from it because admittedly I was like, this movie is not your usual brand and there's Mm -hmm. a high probability you're going to be like, I don't get it. I don't like it. Bye. There's (laughs) definitely some of those movies um, that we argue about. uh, What is it? She Dies Tomorrow. Yeah. Where you loved it and I hated it. Yeah. Yeah. We got very different things out of that one. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) But uh, no, this is, I, I get this movie. Like. Yeah, I get it. I think it's a really good movie to discuss over the course of a whole episode. Mm-hmm. Hopefully people will not be scared off going, what the fuck is this? And then go and actually see it because it's on Hulu. And, yeah. You, know, you don't have to pay for it other than Hulu. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I hope that's a... I, I hope people enjoyed this conversation because, man, we got heady. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. And if you if you liked this episode or any of our other episodes... Friendly reminder, we're trying to do a giveaway once we get to 100 reviews on Apple iTunes. So head over there, give us that five-star rating, leave a, a nice little note if you if you feel so inclined. We greatly appreciate it. I love reading the nice things. I know. It's really good. It makes me not cry for once. Actually, that's a lie. I cry out of happiness because I cry all the time. You do. <laughs> you can also support the show on Patreon. Our Patreon is just patreon.com backslash the sons at prom. We do minisodes where Harmony makes much teen boy movies, monthly playlists, get the schedule ahead of time, commentary tracks, all sorts of fun stuff. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. I am also on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where are you at? I'm on Twitter and Instagram as well at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor underscore trap underscore tour. I actually just posted some fun cocktail recipes that I made. So yes, you did. Maybe maybe you'll enjoy those if you come visit me there. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of fun good stuff coming out of Harmony Camp over there. I don't know if it's a lot of stuff, but like there's 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 a steady stream. Awesome. It's a, it's a comfortable trickle. We also want to say thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Y'all are the best. Everyone check out Sonderbombs. They've got some new music out. They're great. I listen to Crying is Cool a lot. You should, too. <laughs> I uh, I think that my copy of Clothbound has been located in the, the mess. In Cleveland. I think it ended up in <laughs> Cleveland. Uh, and after maybe two months in transit, it might get here soon. So hey, who knows? That'll be fun. But keeping with our trend of plugging other independent artists, because you all love to tell us how much you love the Sonderbombs and you appreciate us turning you on to them, 
I've actually picked a really, really fun topical band for this one of Meet Me at the Altar. It's like the at symbol. And they do like really cool pop punk music. You may have heard them already on our uh, monthly Patreon playlist. They're the opening Mm -hmm. track and they're just pretty consistently putting out new stuff. So I thought that would be a really good band to plug considering the, uh, the awesome band we have in this movie. I think so too. They're fucking awesome. Yeah. All right, friends, that takes us out on Knives and Skin. Thank you as always for listening and save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. What's more modern than a female rock star? The kind you want to picture on her knees. I don't plan on being anyone else's. So I'm not a priority. But I flyer for that missing girl. I saw the ones her mother's been putting up and they're hideous. You spelled her name wrong. Oh. Well, I'm not going to start over now. I worked really hard on this. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.